This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer and we are live streaming on my youtube channel strange planet tonight and uh, don't forget though uh, we also upload these shows to my rumble channel rumble.com and that usually happens within uh, a couple of days so go to rumble.com search for richard serrett's strange planet under channels and uh, subscribe there too because at some point, I suspect, we'll be moving everything over there. We're not live streaming on Rumble yet, uh, but at some point, we probably will. Author, blogger, historian Don Jeffries is here for the full two hours. His 2019 book, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, has just been released in paperback. Uh, it's an updated version, a couple of new chapters. Uh, please take a moment and visit the website, strangeplanet.ca. There's a, a new T-shirt available in the Strange Planet shop. Truth Gets You Crucified, which is uh, across the front of the jersey. Truth Gets You Crucified and a verse on the back from Matthew chapter 23, verses 27-28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and religious leaders, you hypocrites. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So check it out. Um, many, many other T-shirt designs there as well in my Strange Planet shop at strangeplanet.ca. All right. I am, uh, I'm leaving for Greece tomorrow afternoon, and I'll be there for a month. Uh, but we will continue to bring uh, brand new programs each week, even in my absence. Next week's program will not be live. It'll be brand new, however. It'll be pre-recorded in Greece. Micah Hanks is a writer, podcaster, uh, researcher, whose interests include history and science, current events, cultural studies, technology, philosophy, unexplained phenomenon. He'll be with me. Then the following week, tonight's guest, actually, Don Jeffries, will be guest hosting. And uh, his guest 
in the first hour will be Janet Phelan, an investigative reporter at large exposing corruption, abuse and crime. And her new her new book is At the Breaking Point of History, How Decades of U.S. Duplicity Enabled the Pandemic. And then the following week, Ali Siadatan will be my special guest host. And uh, we're hoping to have Jonathan Kahn, author of The Harbinger and The Harbinger 2, The Return, on the program for two hours with Ali Siadatan. The week after that, there'll be another pre-recorded show coming to you uh, from Greece. Uh, Crimes and cover-ups in American politics, 1776 to 1963. Again, the updated paperback edition. Don Jeffries has been researching the JFK assassination since the mid-70s when he was a teenage volunteer for Mark Lane's Citizens Committee of Inquiry. He's also very active on all the JFK assassination forums. He's been a moderator on the London Spartacus Education Forum for several years. His first published book, Uh, A work of fiction, the acclaimed 2007 novel, The Unreals, has been compared to Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. And uh, then he he wrote a series of nonfiction books, beginning with Survival of the, uh, sorry, Hidden History, then Survival of the Richest, Bullyocracy, and uh, as I mentioned, Crimes and Cover-Ups in 2019, now updated paperback edition. Don, welcome. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, Richard. Thanks. Always a pleasure to be with you. Likewise, my friend. So, uh, as as I said, the book came came out in 2019. And obviously, the world has completely changed in just the two years, less than two years since the book came out. Is there anything to compare the, the profoundness of this change and how quickly it happened and how long lasting it is likely to be? Uh, to un- any other period in American history? No, I, I, don't, I don't think anything remote. I mean, the, the only possible comparison maybe would be uh, the Civil War, the war between the states, and, and certainly what came after it, because that was a drastic transformation. Uh, and we, you know, most people don't seem to realize what a transformation it was. And uh, not only did almost a million people die, a million Americans die at the hands of other Americans. But uh, we went through a decade or so of, uh, or less than that, a half a decade of, re- of or you know, a decade or more of, re- of reconstruction, which uh, we had military occupation of the South, and uh, that eventually led to horrible things like uh, Jim Crow laws and 100 years of real racism and uh, white supremacy in the South. So uh, a lot of bad things happened because of that, but I think really only... Maybe that, you know, the 10-year period or something, the Civil War and just after it would be close to this. But even that is – because that was obviously confined to America. What we're looking at now is certainly a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, just look at Victoria, Australia. Uh, if you want to see a future of, you know, the, that's the Orwell's picture of, uh, you know, human boots stamping on a human face forever. I'm conjured up when I see what's going on in Victoria, Australia. So, no, I, I think we're living in unprecedented times. So, the uh – the two updated or the, the updated version contains two two new chapters. Is it two, I believe? Yes, yes. One is uh, the history of un-Americanism and the other is what? The other is just an updated for and that's where I, I basically talk a little bit about the uh, the Trump phenomenon. And uh, I think I touched a little bit on on the beginning of this uh, – of the – 
the COVID narrative, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I couldn't do it justice in that little bit of time. And I, I really, you know, to actually try to bring it up to date as far as what I just I didn't think it really fit there. They wanted me to write a couple new chapters, but since this book, that would have probably been more appropriate if I'd written a, a new edition of Hidden History because that was basically. Uh, the more modern version that was from the Kennedy assassination up until at that time the Obama years, but uh, this was like the hid, uh, crimes and cover-ups was basically a prequel to that, and it goes from the founding of the republic up until I don't address the JFK assassination in this book, but right up until you know the end of the 50s, early 60s. So uh, really to try to to jump into what we're going through now, I mean I think it's it's just it's it's relevant because I think if we see all the things that. Uh, happened in the past, certainly. And if you see uh, the past is a precursor, so if you see all these things that took place, we can see maybe reasons why certain things are happening today. But uh, with the COVID narrative and the lockdown and everything, I don't, I don't think anything that in, in American history could prepare us for that. Um, except, you know, as you point out in the history of un-Americanism, there are some interesting parallels that we see echo throughout America's history, starting with John Adams the second president, and that is uh, the Alien and Sedition Act. And, uh, and it's, it's gone by different names. Uh, let, let's, let's spend some time talking about the uh, Alien and Sedition Act throughout history, or throughout America's history, really. Right. Well, you had the Alien and Sedition Acts under John Adams, which were uh, very unpopular. Uh, and uh, Thomas Jefferson basically used that as uh, the main focus of his presidential campaign against Adams, which he won. And uh, they were enemies for a while, and then later, of course, they became great friends, and America has uh, – history gave us some great letters back and forth between them. But uh, basically until that time, then, of course, you had Lincoln, who Lincoln set so many terrible precedents. He didn't have to pass any Alien Sedition Acts because Lincoln just basically did what he wanted. He said, I'm the commander-in-chief. There's an insurrection. Insurrection <laughs> sounds familiar nowadays. And so he uh, – suspended the writ of habeas corpus. And what we see happening in Washington, D.C. now with the political prisoners and still there since January 6th, uh, again, this they can cite that as precedent because Abraham Lincoln rounded up untold thousands of people, uh, northerners, and threw them in makeshift prisons without charge, without bail. And you can see what's happening in today. Uh, a, lot of these, a lot of them were not, uh, the people in Washington, D.C. were not uh, given any bail. Uh, they weren't there on any charges, and uh, a little-known fact is that no one has been charged with insurrection, although they continue to be call, called insurrectionists. But after Lincoln, uh, then you had Woodrow Wilson uh, revived the Alien and Sedition Acts in uh, 1918, and uh, he used uh, Lincoln's precedent to throw uh, people like Eugene Debs and Honest Socialists and other World War I protesters in prison. And uh, one of the facts that I unearthed in my, that I didn't know uh, is uh, you know, as a free speech purist, this was very significant to me. Where uh, when Wilson was imprisoning these people, naturally they objected to it and took it to the Supreme Court because it was unconstitutional. The Supreme Court ruled in Wilson's favor uh, behind the liberal Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who is revered by court historians, and that is where the phrase "you can't yell fire in a crowded theater" comes from. I don't think very many Americans know it comes from that decision. And until 1918, no one had heard of that. Obviously, they didn't put an asterisk on the First Amendment. But however you look at it, uh, the World War One protesters were not yelling fire in a crowded theater. So I think that was ridiculous that he that he used something like that. And then, of course, in World War Two, you had Franklin Roosevelt used again the precedents of Wilson and, and Jefferson. I wasn't not Jefferson, Wilson and uh, Lincoln 
to uh, incarcerate not only Japanese Americans, who at least later their ancestors, uh, their uh, descendants got uh, some reparations, but also German Americans and even a small number of Italian Americans put them in concentration camps. This was all done under the same kind of precedent that Lincoln set. And then even all the way until um, the treatment of the prisoners at Guantanamo, uh, Guantanamo Bay under President George W. Bush, uh, John Yu, his attorney, uh, justified the treatment of the prisoners there and the incarceration of there without trial for years, again, going back to Lincoln and the precedent set by uh, Wilson and Roosevelt. So I don't know if there's going to be any legal challenges to what's going on in Washington, D.C. now with the so-called insurrectionists. But if there were, you can be assured that the people prosecuting this and, and defending the right to keep them in there without charges will cite the precedents of those past presidents. So the, when these things happen, you know, we, we need to learn from history because when, when they're allowed to happen and they're respected, I mean, the core historians don't talk about any of this that I do. They think Lincoln was fine. I mean, they kind of shrug and say, well, yeah, he did suspend the writ of habeas corpus. And Woodrow Wilson, well, you know, they, they, I mean, how many of you, I, I've never heard anybody until I discovered it myself that uh, that traces the, the line about you can't yell, yell fire in a crowded theater to the World War I protesters. That's where it came from. Nobody does that. Uh, people... Uh, for Japanese Americans, anyhow, nobody talks about the Germans and uh, Italian Americans that were incarcer incarcerated in concentration camps. But I think most people say, well, yeah, we shouldn't have done that, and so we paid them reparations. And a lot of people you know, say, oh, well, we don't support torture, so we don't like what's going on in Guantanamo Bay. But very few people apparently are worried or, or care very much about the, the, uh, the people, the political prisoners that are in Washington, D.C. today. But it's a direct timeline of history that led to this. Just getting back to uh, John Adams for a minute, I want to just pick up on some of these threads because you covered a huge swath of history there brilliantly and very succinctly. Uh, what was going on in America in the uh, the very early 19, 19th century when, when Adams was president? They weren't at war. Why did he need to invoke a uh, an Alien and Sedition Act? Why did he need to jail people who, who um, I guess – you know, uttered uh, threats against the American government, not even threats, just even criticized the U.S. government. Why? What was going on in America then? Well, again, just from my, you know, I, I, I'm, a I'm a community college dropout, so I'm no, I'm no court historian. I'm an armchair historian, uh, as the way I like to term it. But uh, I do have studied history. And just from what I know of John Adams' personality, he was an incredibly vain guy. And I just think he was, you know, he was offended. By people criticizing him, I don't. I think he had a very thin skin, and I personally think that uh, the reason he wanted to throw people in jail, well, that was a, a lot to do with personal reasons. You mentioned we weren't at war with anyone, so they couldn't justify that. So I think it had a lot to do with his vanity. But you know, that's my speculation. Uh, but I don't. I don't see any other political reason for him to have done it. And, and really, Adams is. Uh, Study, especially John Quincy Adams, who I like even better than John Adams, they were brilliant men. And uh, I would certainly not have been a Federalist. I would have been on Jefferson's side as a Democrat-Republican. But uh, I, I can understand a lot of the point of view he had. He was a brilliant guy, and he was certainly instrumental to the American Revolution. But I, I think he, he made the uh, horrible mistake of uh, setting into motion those kinds of acts, which unfortunately have been used by more unscrupulous leaders like Lincoln. And uh, Wilson and Roosevelt, who I think were different caliber of men than John Adams, uh, for even uh, worse purposes. But I, I personally, I just think it had to do with his his vain personality. 
Let me let me play devil's advocate here with uh, Lincoln. Uh, the, the country was being torn apart. It was an existential threat to the country. What what else would he could he have done? I mean, these were these were extraordinary times. Yes, he took extraordinary measures. He he probably agonized over them. I I'm guessing. I don't know what. How do you respond? Well, I think you know if if you look at if you look at. Uh the original, the original states that were going to secede were, I believe, uh, seven states, and uh, they, for whatever reason, and Lincoln should have recognized. But this, I think, you had, to, you need to look at Lincoln's real history, his real personality, and what people said about him. Lincoln uh, was not a man of the people. Lincoln was a corporate lawyer. He represented the, unlike my hero Huey Long, who never took a case against a poor man. Uh, Lincoln never represented a poor man. Lincoln always represented the banks and the corporate interests, the railroads. Uh, so he was a corporate kind of a guy. He was not a man of the people. wasn't a rail splitter. So when he came into office, I think he had a uh, he had he had a, had a lot of vanity himself as well. But I think that instead of allowing uh, to uh, these original seven states to secede. Which, if they had done, they had every right to do that. He, Lincoln should have recognized that. Oh, this is exactly what the original colonies did. They seceded from Great Britain. This was the the idea of our founding. And there are tons of quotes which I put in the book that you know that from Jefferson and all the founding fathers that you know this is if the the people have every right to alter or abolish the government when it no longer suits their needs. I mean, the quotes are out there. Clearly, their intent was clear that maybe this wasn't this wasn't intended to be all forever. You know, if you if you don't like it, I mean, the whole concept, and that's what I stress all the time, that the founding principle of the American Revolution was the consent of the government, that people everywhere have a right to consent to those who govern them. That was why they fought for independence, why they broke away from England. So however you look at it, I mean, the southern states could have been, you know, tobacco, drool-dripping slave owners. However you look at them, they no longer consented to the government that they were under at that point. And they want, they said, you know, we want to break away just like the colonies did. So Lincoln should have recognized that. And he also should have been shrewd enough when he was a shrewd politician to look and say, well, okay, you know, these seven states, they're not going to have an, be able to make an economy in the middle of all these others. So they'll, they'll probably stay away from a year or so. And, and uh, then they'll realize they can't make it. And they'll come back to us with a tail between their legs. That's what he should have done. But when he when he started, he started playing hardball as soon as he got in office. Lincoln has showed no flexibility at all. And I have his quotes in there where he, he literally would not negotiate with them about anything. You must come back in the union. That's it. The union is sacrosanct. And Lincoln is the one who made this union out to be holy, union with a capital U. And again, before the Civil War, you don't see – you don't see these references to the Holy Union uh, before that. Now, the, all you need to know about the, how things changed in the Civil War was that before the Civil War, uh, the United States was considered a plural. When you talked about the United States, you said the United States are. After the Civil War, it's the always and still is the United States is. It became a singular. And that was the defining, I think. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, you know, the, the states, the original states, they were loose confederate. And it's very interesting. They called themselves a confederacy. The colonies did, which is, of course, the name that the, 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 the confederacy chose. And, the, and you know, this is the southern secessionists did. But because Lincoln pushed this on, because he invaded Baltimore with such a heavy hand with northern troops, 
That's when the other states got in, uh, in, involved, the other six states, including Virginia under Robert E. Lee, which uh, Robert E. Lee was their first choice to uh, to lead the uh, the federal troops, the northern troops. Lee was not, you know, a, 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 a tremendous uh, Confederate. He he would, didn't even really support it at first, but he said it's my state because in those days, they people supported their state. They didn't necessarily think of themselves as Americans. They thought of themselves, in his case, as a Virginian first. It was about states' rights. So when he when Lincoln played hardball, instead of trying to just kind of letting them go their own way and see what happens, I mean, what's the worst could have happened? I, I don't think that they would have been able to make a a viable uh, effort within the continental United States. But instead, he played uh, hardball. He put that human foot on the face. And uh, the other states came in, and they made a more formidable force with 13 states. And so I think that Lincoln should have negotiated. He should have been flexible. He should have recognized that people had that right. In fact, I, I talk about Lincoln's speech, who he very rightly opposed uh, President Polk. President Polk was the first president, James K. Polk, to overstep his constitutional authority when he pushed war on Mexico. And we can see the disasters from that even today. Groups, radical groups like La Raza would not exist if it wasn't for that Mexico war. And they did steal land and they had, atrocities were committed there. And uh, Congressman Abraham Lincoln made a great speech from the floor of the House uh, where he used the exact same language that the secessionists would use 20 years later. And uh, I, I guess he didn't read his own words because, you know, he basically said, saying this is foolish. They have a right to, you know, uh, read the speech. It's, a, it's in uh, – is in the book, but so I think Lincoln it, was not flexible. He was not a negotiator. He pushed this idea that the Union was it, and he also pushed the idea that because because they really we we've been told that they were at war. The nation really wasn't at war. One group was trying to lead. You'll you'll never see any example. The South didn't invade the North anywhere. I mean, the Virginians could have attacked Washington D.C. They they just they were fighting a defensive battle. The North pushed. The war. They invaded everywhere. That's why in the South, uh, for a long time, they called it the War of Northern Aggression. So this really wasn't a war where, you know, it was, it was basically one side defending their turf because they just wanted to be left alone and they wanted to have their own government. Lincoln wouldn't allow that. And I think that, you know, even if you believe in the rightness of his cause, was it worth almost a million lives? I mean, a quarter of the Southern men, of uh, the Southern males, died a quarter of the population is like a you know a giant black plague don i gotta uh, jump in here we've got to take a, a time out don jeffrey stays with us crimes and cover-ups in american politics the uh, updated paperback edition will tell you how to get a copy back with more of our conversation right after these don't go away corporations governments and sometimes entire civilizations what goes up must come down and it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. John Jeffries stays with us for the full two hours. Crime and crimes and cover-ups in American politics, seventeen seventy-six to nineteen sixty-three. The updated paperback edition now available. How do we get a copy, Don? 
Uh, you can Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I mean, anywhere. It's, it's technically, I think it's. Uh, I mean, it's been available for pre-sale, but pre-sale on Amazon and elsewhere. I think it technically is released October nineteenth. So it's not. We're not quite there yet. But I'm obviously promoting it because uh, I have a vested interest here because I'm writing Hidden History Three, which the publisher actually requested early on, and I'm almost done. But uh, they're kind of uh, because I guess because of uh, the economic situation and uh, maybe they're shying away from conspiracy type books. But uh, whether or not they publish that apparently is going to be based on the sales of this paperback. So I hope everyone that supports me will go out and get it so uh, that I, I, I can have them publish it, uh, Hidden History 3. All right. Um, the um, House Un-American Activities. We're going to jump obviously ahead quite a bit here. The, um, the history of the House Un-American Activities Committee, uh, this idea that, um, you know, I guess it's kind of an offshoot of the Alien and Sedition uh, yeah. Act, right? The, the, yeah, same mindset, so, yeah. Yeah, so, so how did it begin? And, and um, uh, let's, let's just start, you know, with, the, I guess, the evolution of, the, of that. Well, I, you know, I, I quote quite a bit from H.L. Mencken, who was one of the great liberals, and I, I'm a classical liberal. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a, an old-fashioned leftist that does not, you know, hates the left today because the left is not what it used to be. But H.L. Mencken was a great liberal uh, back in the 20s and 30s and 40s. But he had a great saying where he talked about practical politics uh, being nothing more than an endless series of hobgoblins designed to make the populace uh, clamorous to be led to safety. And that's exactly what our foreign policy has been, certainly since the, uh, the, the Spanish-American War of 1898, where uh, these hobgoblins are dragged. You could argue, actually, that the secessionists, I guess, during the Civil War were hobgoblins. But uh, these are uh, – so when, when the House of America Activities Committee was born out of the Cold War, and because Americans are so susceptible – to being of these foreign demons that are dangled before them. They went basically right from Hitler and the Nazis, the greatest demons of all, uh, to uh, and, and fighting alongside the Soviets. And the Nazis would not have been defeated if it wasn't for the Soviets. And uh, they were our allies. And then suddenly, at the end of the war, suddenly we quickly converted and instantly went from uh, Uncle Joe Stalin to the Iron Curtain and the Cold War. And uh, then we began seeing commies everywhere and communists everywhere where before we had seen uh you know nazis and uh you know america firsters and i go through all that in the crimes and cover-ups as well they were demonized earlier the people didn't want us to get involved in world war ii soon as the cold war started we started looking for commies and reds and everybody especially in hollywood became uh, in the entertainment became uh, suspect in the eyes anybody on the left that was questioning tradition Questioning anything that uh, that uh, the that people you know that was considered American, whatever that meant, uh, became un-Americans. And uh, I uh, I defend Joe McCarthy in crimes and cover-ups. I, I had the delicate de- balancing act of I come to the defense of Joe McCarthy and the Rosenbergs. I think they were both <laughs> they they both were I think victims of, for different reasons of that uh, phony I, I believe it was a phony Cold War. But well, McCarthy, just, uh, just let me just pick up on the uh, McCarthy because as you point out in the book. Uh, I guess because of you know pop culture, we tend to associate Senator McCarthy with right. the Hollywood you know the witch trials. Right. But he wasn't part of that, right? No, and, and just the fact that you know it was the House Un-American Activities Committee. Joe McCarthy wasn't in the House; he was the senator, so he had nothing to do with that. But 
nobody knows, you know, nobody talks about the people on the on the HUAC, H-U-U-A-C, the House Un-American Activities Committee. McCarthy didn't have an Un-American Activities Committee. He, he investigated, he was primarily investigating uh, infiltration of the government, and he really didn't get in trouble until he started going after the army. And that's when Harry Truman and the Truman administration, even Eisenhower, went crazy on him. But uh, because he was, again, going after Big Fry, but the House Un-American Activities Committee, uh, they're the ones that ruined lives and, and blacklisted people in Hollywood. McCarthy never did that. And uh, so I think it's, it's really unfair. And, but again, that's Americans don't know their history and the court historians are dishonest. So they kind of lump everything together and call it a period of McCarthyism. And I think that's terribly unfair. But that's, you know, the, the people who are considered un-American, the, the idea of un-Americanism really goes back to the Civil War. Because Lincoln, I don't think, called them un-Americans, but it was, that's, he's basically the first people to, uh, call, um, to call someone who, uh, who, you know, who doesn't want to go to war or whatever, to come up with a name for them. And uh, certainly we saw that with uh, the World War II era. Or FDR again demonized the Peasers, you know, and we think of Neville Chamberlain today, and uh, John F. Kennedy's dad, Joseph P. Kennedy, was friends with Neville Chamberlain. So he's, we just we throw that word appeaser around. Now, I don't know if Lincoln used the actual word appeaser, but he certainly meant that when he talked about people in the North who were uh, not sympathetic to his war policies and thought maybe it might be better to try diplomacy. So basically, ever since Lincoln. People who are uh, questioning a particular war effort and want to try to be diplomatic rather than uh, you know, to, uh, to just go headfirst into war and lose lots of human lives are considered appeasers. So appeasers is a short jump from appeasers to uh, un-Americans. And by the, uh, the 50s, that became very popular by the, very, you know, the name of the House Committee, the House Un-American Activities Committee. But it's very relevant today because we're, we're very close to that ter- period again, except for at that time, the un-Americans were on the left, on the far left, and today the un-Americans would be on the far right. And they would be called insurrectionists. You're seeing now they want to I mean, just look at the way they've demonized parents who are just trying to confront their school boards about their children's education. They want to call them domestic terrorists. So they've come up with even more powerful names uh, for this, but it's all part of the same stew. I mean, these, this is all the same mindset where you can't handle the, the opposition in any kind of debate or any kind of intellectual discourse, so you demonize them. You come up with the most powerful names possible, and in the worst-case scenarios, from Lincoln to January 6th, you throw them in prison. I mean, you know, how I pointed out, how different early is that from what the Soviets did. I mean, you know, Washington, D.C. is in Siberia, but it's the same concept where we're going to put you in prison for, uh, for your uh, basically thought crimes. It, yeah, it's interesting that there was an actual attempted, I suppose, insurrection on the, uh, was the, um, the U.S. Capitol building. There, were, there, were, uh, there was a firebombing in the, was it the early 1980s? I mean, this was an actual terrorist attack, right? They, they, sure. uh, uh, and I believe the the ringleader or one of the ringleaders of that attack um, was jailed and then was uh, pardoned by President Clinton, and now she holds kind of a 
uh, a position. Bernadette Ayers, I think you think, yeah, I think it's right think with it's Black Bernadette. Lives Matter. Isn't she like the uh, uh, fairly? Oh, no, not, that yeah, no, that's not Bernadette, somebody else. Yes, yes, you're right. She, yes, she is. And, and that's, you know, I, I go back even uh, farther than that in the, I think it was maybe the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. The Black Panthers, fully armed Black Panthers with, uh, you know, assault, real assault weapons, marched into the uh, California state capitol. And they, again, fully, not, not like the insurrectionists, they didn't find a single weapon on the protesters in January 6th, literally. I think one woman was arrested because she had a tambourine. Literally, that was a weapon. No guns were found anywhere uh, on the protesters. Uh, and this was, this was in a period in the 60s when you could argue racism, white racism was rampant. Do you want to talk about white supremacy? Well, it, it, it still existed then. So here you had Black Panthers who represented the antithesis of that, fully armed, walking into the state capitol, dominated by white supremacy. And what happened to them? Were they gunned down by police, arrested? No, nothing. They came and talked to them rationally. Uh, they did take their weapons, but they went on their way, and they weren't even charged with disturbing the peace. Now, <clears throat> this again, this was uh, over 50 years ago. So compare that to the way that people that were treated on January 6th. And again, it's, there's always been a double standard. You, you mentioned the 80s uh, <clears throat> firebombing. And that's why I, you know, the, I object so strongly when I hear people call that an insurrection. It was ridiculous. It was a day at the park and uh, led primarily by government uh, undercover agents <clears throat> who will never be arrested as in all these uh, riots. But uh, the mindset that we have to demonize our opponents like this and we have to punish them unfortunately has existed for a long time again i guess it did start with the alien and sedition acts under john adams i don't i don't think that that many people were imprisoned under the alien sedition acts but um afterwards it was quickly repealed as soon as thomas jefferson one of the many great things about jefferson is he walked the walk and that was a big campaign promise of his and as soon as he got into office unlike donald trump for instance who did nothing that he campaigned on uh as soon as jefferson got into office he he instantly repealed the Alien and Sedition Acts, and everyone jailed under it was freed. So, uh, but again, Lincoln overturned all that because once he did that, once you had Reconstruction in the South, American history, the American form of government was changed. And I don't think many people realize that we went much, you know, it was much more than going from a uh, plural to a singular United States. Uh, we changed completely. Lincoln created the first imperial presidency. No one, no, you know, he's the first one to say, basically say, I can do whatever I want. I'm the commander in chief. And uh, he also subverted the legislative branch. You know, one of the great things about our government is the separation of powers. And uh, it was, you know, th that was the idea that no, no, there shouldn't be too much concentration of power anywhere. So the judiciary, the executive and the legislative will offset each other. Don, I got to jump in again. Another time out. Don Jeffries, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, updated paperback edition. Back with more of our conversation right after these. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. John Jeffrey stays with us, and uh, he will be with us for the full two hours, and we will open up the phone lines in the second hour. And also, if you're in the YouTube live chat and you have a question, 
uh, prepare those as well. And my live stream producer, Ryan White, will uh, curate those and send them my way. And I think what he'd like you to do is put Strange Planet in the um, in the uh, chat in your next to your question. That way, it's easier for Ryan to find those and uh, send them my way. Um, so you talk about you know you are a classical liberal. So what has happened uh, to the left? Would you would you agree that what we are now seeing with the left these are these are avowed Marxists? Well, you know, I don't. I shy away from from labels because I I, I think we throw the name uh, we throw communist and Nazi, racist, Marxist, all that. I think we throw. I mean, I just think what we're dealing with are incredible authoritarians. I think we're dealing with people who don't have any respect for the Bill of Rights. For what's left of our civil liberties, and I think you know, I started out uh, being politically aware as a teenager, and Mark Lane was my first mentor and hero, uh, the first, the most famous critic of the Warren Report. Uh, so it was just more than even getting into the JFK assassination and realizing what a fraud uh, the Warren Report was, what a lie it was. I admired civil libertarians, and Mark Lane was one. Nat Hentoff was another good one that was around then. Hugh Hefner's Playboy philosophy uh, it was a lot more than naked women. He had, his Playboy philosophy was great. It was kind of libertarian and civil libertarian combination, but I, I, was, I was drawn to that. I was you know, from a tradition of loving the American Revolution, Patrick Henry's words, which were taken from Voltaire's, about I, I may not agree with what you say, but I'll defend in my dying day your right to say it. That struck a chord in me as a little kid. I thought that was, wow, what a great idea. And it's really almost like you know the golden rule, isn't it? Do unto others as we'd have them do unto you. So basically, free speech is built upon the golden rule, really. And so as a leftist, I was committed to uh, – you know, I, I thought prisoners were being mistreated then. I was against capital punishment. I was against war. I was pro-peace. I was uh, – for fair wages and, and, and working conditions for workers, workers' rights, all the stuff the left used to be for. And gradually, all that went away, and today's left is unrecognizable. It would be unrecognizable to Thomas Jefferson or Charles Dickens in England. Classical leftists or classical liberals like H.L. Uh, Mencken, certainly Huey Law and the great populist, that today's left doesn't even believe in free speech. And you can see that by what's happening to the so-called insurrectionists in Washington, D.C., they're there because the left doesn't – the woke left, and that's what – the woke left is way different from the left that I'm on. And you know, my friends that I still have like Naomi Wolf and Cindy Sheehan, uh, Cynthia McKinney, who I just interviewed uh, the other day over the weekend, these are great people on the left, but they're, they don't have any power anymore and any real platform anymore because they're not welcome in the, by the woke left. The woke left wants to punish their enemies. And again, this goes back to Lincoln. Lincoln was the first one that said, you know, hey, you, you don't support my war measures. You don't support what I'm doing. You don't have to be a member of the Confederacy. You're an appeaser, basically. I mean, he, he had that great comment about, must I, must I shoot a poor a deserter, but let the, uh, the wily agitator that got him to desert Get off scot free, and that—that that was his first. Uh, he was—he fired the first shot, I think, in that kind of un-Americanism mindset. And we see today the left has bought it, hook, line, and sinker, because that's—I mean, I have people that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was uh, 
talking about how ridiculous the uh, the prosecutions were putting these people in jail for the, for protesting and their constitutional right. Uh, so many people told me they should be hung. They want to hang people. They, I mean, this this the the left today is again, and I, as someone who I you know I, the left back then, uh, uh, you know, we didn't believe in capital punishment for serial killers. But now today's left wants capital punishment for people who basically supported Donald Trump. That's their idea. And I, you know, I can't be associated with that kind of left. It's, it's mindless. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, you can call it Marxist. You could call it Nazism. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a, a group think, a mob mentality. And these are the kind of people that not that long ago used to take the family out for a picnic and watch the public hanging. If they decided to hang some of the insurrectionists, I think those those leftists today would prepare a picnic lunch and bring the kids out and watch it. I really think that they they have the same kind of mindset that I thought we left behind a long time ago. Yeah, I, I know we have to be careful about throwing isms around, but when you look at what Nikita Khrushchev said mm-hmm. back in in the um, the nineteen early sixties that we could will bring America down without firing a shot. Right. And then you look at, um, was it uh, Yuri, the uh, the Soviet KGB defector that came to Canada, Yuri Bezmenov, mm-hmm. who talked about, you know, everything that was happening in America was all part of this, the, the Soviet playbook, the communist playbook. First, you demoralize America. Uh, then you then you destabilize America. That's stage two. Stage three is you create a crisis. And stage four is it becomes the new normalcy. When I mean, when you look at what has been happening in America since the 1960s and how it coincides with Bezmenov's statements and, and Khrushchev's statements about bringing down America. Uh, and you look at the, the present state of the left, not only, uh, you know, wokeism, which, again, you know, th- this idea that that we have to get the state inserted between parents and their own children. Right. All of this stuff is happening. I mean, how else can you not how else can you describe it except this is this is part of a, a Marxist takeover of America. Well, you could certainly. I mean, I'm familiar with you know Marx's original planks and you know how all of them have come to be or whatever. But I think there's always been two lefts in America, and I think you've all at least since the the Soviet you know the Russian Revolution, which wasn't Russian at all. I mean, I'd urge people to read uh, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution. They want to get an idea how Russian that revolution was. I mean, you know, Lev uh, Trotsky's real name was Lev Bronstein, and he came from New York City. So I don't know what you know what kind of a Russian he was, and there were there were lots of people like that there, lots of finance behind that. Uh, but this, you always had like even then. Let's let's look at the World War One era. You had leftist people like Woodrow Wilson, establishment people like that, and you had people who were honest leftists like William Jennings Bryan. You had Robert LaFollette, who was an honest leftist. Eugene Debs, who was an honest socialist. H.L. Mencken, people, Huey Long was just coming up. But then, you know, when Huey Long came really into power, you had FDR. And those kind of that was the establishment, the pro-war, the pro-authoritarian. And you could, you could argue they're the, those are the ones that had the Marxist leanings over following those precepts, the control. Because true liberalism, at least, you know, going back to Jefferson, Jefferson said that government is best which governs the least – you know, liberalism used to have a lot of libertarianism in it where you didn't want the government intruding into your that's lives. A, I mean, that's a conservative tenet now, right? Is right. small government. I've got to take another time out. This was a short segment. We'll come back and discuss further. Don Jeffries stays with us.
brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. And we are back with Don Jeffries, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, the updated paperback edition now available, Amazon and uh, wherever good books are sold. Um, so whatever, what has happened with the American Civil Liberties Union? They they seem pretty much they seem to have vanished. Yeah, they don't care. I mean, and they recently released a statement I think last year, where they basically announced that hey, you know, we're not we're not concerned so much with civil liberties anymore as our name would designate. Now we're going to be looking at racism and you know transphobia and all you know this this stuff again that that is part of identity politics and. That is what's so insidious, and I write about this all the time. So I get mistaken for a conservative, and I, I, you know, I don't think anybody would ever consider me a conservative. But I, I guess I'm more on their side today because the, the conservatives are more concerned about free speech and, and civil liberties. But I, I don't know if that's because they're the ones that are under attack, and it's their free speech and civil liberties of being friends. I, I would hope that if they were in power. Maybe they would be just as tolerant, but I don't know. Human nature is like that. It, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, and I think that's why the Bill of Rights was so important. And I'm, you know, in Hidden History Three, I'm writing a lot about George Mason and the, the original, you know, people that did not support the Constitution. And a lot, my, a lot of my favorite founding fathers didn't support the Constitution. They thought the Articles of Confederacy was better, were better. And uh, people like George Mason and Patrick Henry, for instance, uh, and they smelt a rat. You know, Patrick Henry said. Uh, but Mason made sure they put the Bill of Rights, and I think that's what really made the Constitution tolerable. Because without that Bill of Rights, you know, it, it, you really didn't. You had to delimiate. And what made it so incredible is that these, you know, these were considered God-given rights. And I think that's the problem, Richard. Today is that America is so divided. Uh, in 1860, there were foundational principles that everyone agreed, the North and South agreed on. Uh, pretty much everyone believed in God, for instance, so religion was a factor everywhere. Uh, you had foundational principles like that. Everybody had basically, when you said, you know, if you're moral or immoral, pretty much everybody agreed what moral and immoral was. Today, I, I don't think there's a single foundational principle in America. And the reason why the Bill of Rights is so unpopular, I think, and a lot of woke leftists is because there were grants that there, there, weren't, there weren't rights granted by the government. They're protected by the government, but they're God-given rights. The idea was that we are all born inherently with God-given rights. Well, if you have a huge chunk of America, I don't know, maybe a majority at this point that don't believe in God, they're, they're not going to go for any God-given rights. So that's the problem we face today, and I think that the left has gone away from any concept of morality, and at, at this point, they're just – it's vindictiveness. Uh, they believe – and again, ironically, like another one of my books, Bullyocracy, they're bullies much of the time, and all bullying is based on the concept of might makes right. If you can yell the loudest or hit the hardest, then you're right. But That's this didn't you, happen by accident, right? Don't you think that this, no, was, no. this was a concerted effort? Somebody Absolutely. is Absolutely. pulling the strings here. Absolutely, and that's that's the that's the you know that's why people you know in the crimes and cover-ups I write about the Illuminati, which was a real thing. Now, whether it still is a real thing, of course, is open to debate. But uh, for people who poo-poo it, no. Adam Weishaupt was a historical figure. I have a lot about it. 
in crimes and cover-ups so people can read about it. And uh, I think they're probably the – I mean I don't know what the you know what they call themselves or whatever, but I think there's a group above the political level. The people, certainly you look at people like Joe Biden and no one can possibly believe he's in charge of anything. And I think that's – a lot of our presidents have been that way and a lot of our politicians. Somebody's pulling the string. So it's the puppet masters we're looking for. And I suspect you know we, we might not even know their names or might not know who they are, but I think there is a group above it all. You're right. None of this is random. There's a pattern. I call it uh, – it's usually based on gradualism, you know, the, the old boiling the, – the frog boiling and, and boiling and slowly boiling in the water analogy that we heard so much about. But the problem is they seem to – the last year and a half since this COVID narrative began, they seem like they've scrapped that gradualism narrative that they've been working on for a long time where things gradually they make incremental – so you don't you don't really notice it because it's it's and then you realize wow wait this you know we used to have that right or you know we didn't used to say that now it's just it's it, things are happening so fast that gradualism has gone out the window and they're just using this fear of something to really just make radical transformations and they're just you know they're throwing everything but the kitchen sink out there they're no one is pretending to care for your rights anymore I mean just look at you want to look at the future I mean just look at Victoria. Australia. And I'm afraid, you know, we could be like that soon where literally, I mean, the, the guy recently I was listening to a tape where, you know, he was he was arrested by police because the police asked him, he couldn't say why he was in this particular place in public. You have no reason to be here. I mean, do we really want that kind of society? Well, apparently, probably a majority of Americans do. I think you, you can see by the way they're allowing these things to happen and again i don't think that all oh, this is a this is warp speed not just the vaccine but the the tyranny here in response to it i think uh, it didn't happen overnight that we you know there was a lot as you say a lot of planning a lot of brainwashing and you look at the indoctrinated americans how indoctrinated they are they can't think for themselves you can't reason with them and uh so I don't know, maybe I'm foolish to be writing history for them because they, they seem to be historically illiterate. But hopefully there's enough of you out there that are interested enough that are awake. But uh, it's, it's, we're, we're living in very, very difficult times, and I, I struggle to maintain any hope. But uh, things are looking pretty bleak right now. Uh, I do want to come back to this uh, discussion in an hour or two, but I just, we just have a couple minutes here. I just want to circle back to something you said a little bit earlier, and that is the um, – uh, Thomas or Patrick Henry thought that the the uh, the Constitution was a he smelled a rat, yeah. and that that uh, many of the founding fathers preferred the Articles of Confederacy. How was that different than the Constitution? Well, I think the Articles of Confederacy again were just a loose confederation of states, and they call it again the Articles of Confederation. And you know that's there's a reason why the Southern states the, the Southern states basically were objecting to the Constitution as well. You know, basically all those years later, 90 years later, whatever. And uh, they thought that – I mean I personally think the Constitution with the Bill of Rights – now without the Bill of Rights, I have big problems with it too. With the Bill of Rights, I think it created about as perfect a form of government as you can. It struck a balance with the balance of powers if they had been allowed to stay. Unfortunately, they were shattered forever under Lincoln. But uh, the Articles of Confederation really gave very little authority to the central government. It was just basically all, you know, the original colonies were, were going to band together under a loose confederation. We have common interest, but we have individual states. We have state sovereignty. So the Constitution did change that to some degree. But I, I, I think it was, it was more organized, and I think it was a good thing. 
I would have voted for it with the Bill of Rights. But unfortunately, once Lincoln got a hold of it and shattered the Constitution and the United States became a plural state sovereignty was shattered forever. And, you know, you, you had the Dixiecrats and everything later where people were still fighting for states' rights. But a lot of that involves, you know, they were just they wanted segregation and so forth. But uh, it's we are not the same. Certainly people like Patrick Henry and George Mason would be really appalled. They would have been appalled at Lincoln, let alone the, the monstrosity that the, uh, the federal Leviathan is today. All right. We, uh, we have to step away just for a moment, and we will uh, launch into Hour 2, Don Jeffries. Crimes and cover-ups in American politics, the new updated paperback edition also, uh, Bullyocracy, Survival of the Richest, and Hidden History, Part 3, coming uh, to a bookstore or Amazon very soon, we hope. Uh, back with uh, more of our conversation and your questions and comments and phone calls all ahead on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Don Jeffrey stays with us this hour. His 2019 magnum opus, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, has been updated, now available in paperback. And uh, Don has been researching the JFK assassination since the mid-70s. He was a a teenage volunteer for Mark Lane's Citizens Committee of Inquiry. And um, his uh, first book... The, uh, the a work of fiction called The Unreals has been compared to Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. That came out in 2007. Since then, he's written, uh, written Hidden History, Survival of the Richest, Bullyocracy, and Crimes and Cover-Ups. As I mentioned, Hidden History 3 coming out, um, we hope, soon. Um, so let's... Uh, Let's talk about what's happening right now again with, uh, with COVID and the lockdowns. And you mentioned Australia, which could be our future. Uh, here in Canada, I don't know if you've been following what's happening here. I think we're maybe a little bit further along even towards becoming Australia. Yeah. Uh, as of the end of November, you will not be able to get on a plane or a train uh, or travel anywhere inside of Canada or even leave the country yeah. if you're not vaccinated. Um, and um, where where's the U.S. now with that? Are they – is there going to be a mandate preventing the unvaccinated from flying? 
Well, not yet, but I, th- I think it's coming, and I think that there's huge push. And uh, you know, you you guys in Canada are, and again, I think this is a, a left and right thing with the new left. Again, I don't consider the kind of left and that rules in Canada now certainly not the woke Democrats here. Uh, that's not my left. That's not a civil libertarian left. Uh, you know, a classical liberal left. This is an authoritarian left. This is a left. This is a left that that punishes. It looks to do punitive things against its political opponents. And I think this is all based on that. You won't get vaccinated. We want you to. And it just comes down to that. You're not listening to what I say. You're not obeying our orders like a strict teacher. I'm going to give you a, a failing grade. Uh, yeah, as Don Lemon says, you know, you, you, you don't have to get, you know, there's, you don't have to do it. You just won't be able to eat or work. And uh, that's part of the cancel culture as well. So I think we're very close to that. And again, going back to history, you look at uh, uh, the Jim Crow laws that were, that were passed again as a, as, a, as a recoil, a retaliation of a very wounded South. The KKK was born, first of all, as a defense mechanism. Uh, it later turned into something really ugly. But uh, the same thing with the Jim Crow laws. They were passed punitive measures against the occupation. And you had real racism for 100 years until the civil rights movement. And uh, the South had these separate bathrooms, separate restrooms, separate drinking fountains. And I've used that analogy many times that I can easily see separate restrooms for the unvaccinated. You already have separate uh, separate uh, seating arrangements at stadiums and, and places where they allow the unvaccinated in. And sooner or later, that's probably not going to happen. So I think we're very close to an apartheid situation where the unvaccinated, if they can't force all of them to do it, to get vaccinated, they may just say, well, you know what? You're going to be second, third class citizens. You're not going to be able to have the same rights that, you know, and I don't think any of them have too many rights anymore because they've infringed on them so much. But whatever's left of our civil liberties, you're not going to enjoy. And of course, you're going to be canceled from almost every job. Because they're going to say, no, you can't. I mean, look, look at uh, you know what's happened in hospitals where you have healthcare workers that have been f- fired. They're already supposedly short-staffed, but because they, they, and what does that tell you that they don't want to get this thing? So yeah, I think it's it's we're very close to there. They may, they may, but I certainly, but Joe Biden and the woke Democrats talk about it all the time, and they want this very much. And again, what the worst part, Richard, is that here I don't know if you, what what you have going in Canada, but. We do not have any opposition, and we have from the very beginning, there was no opposition to the lockdown, the unconstitutional lockdown, the unprecedented lockdown. Same here. Not a single one. I mean, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I think that we, if we look at it historically, then uh, you can see how dangerous it is. I mean, do we, re- and it would be ironic, uh, but the left is not going to see that irony. Like I said, I, I don't think they would blink in putting up unvaccinated-only signs on restrooms. I mean, nobody drinks out of drinking fountains anymore. They don't, nobody rides buses too much, so they could maybe, but they'd put us in the back of the bus maybe. And I don't think, you know, because they've already, look, look what you've already seen. Even before this happened, the left was so deluded. And I, I commented at the time where you had, you know, I'm, I'm no fan of uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders or Ted Cruz, but both of them were hounded out of restaurants simply because they were Republicans who supported Trump or whatever. And in the case of, uh, I think it was Sarah Huckabee, she was actually thrown out of the restaurant by the restaurant owner. Now, the entire civil rights movement was based on the fact that, you know, it wasn't right to, to, to uh, you know, not allow certain people, certain kinds of people to not eat in your restaurant. I mean, was, wasn't that what the lunchroom, you know, demonstrated, sit in at, at the lunchroom counters were? 
And again, the left doesn't even seem to realize how close they are to this. And uh, recently you had a situation like that where it was a black family that weren't vaccinated in, uh, I think it was in an Italian restaurant somewhere. I'm not sure what city it was, but there's a big tape of it that went, uh, got a lot of attention where, and the guy was very vocal, you know, the black guy, and he started bringing up, hey, so you're not going to let black people eat it. He, he tried to, you know, make a visual of, you know, is this what you want to do? Just bring back memories. And the, the, the crowd there, you know, they were just, yeah, that's right, you know, and, and he said, is this what you want? And you could hear them saying, yeah. So this is the problem, that until there's effective, and we have no leadership here, uh, and there never has been. I mean, you know, Tucker Carlson, people like that, a few handful of Republicans, but you know, there were no business leaders at the beginning. When they shut down corporate, all the small businesses, where was the Chamber of Commerce? Where, where, where were all the corporate leaders who, you know, whose lives are built on making profits, supposedly? Uh, why didn't they protest? I didn't see any of them protest. Now, of course, I guess they got stimulus funds or something. You know, the, the, the sports leagues didn't protest. The Hollywood moguls didn't protest having their industries, you know, impacted like that. No one did. But the, and, when, when you look at the, the way the logic just completely dissolves. So, for example, our sporting facilities, Major League Sports up here in Canada, we, they've now lifted restrictions so you can have uh, 30,000 people at a baseball game. Yeah. Now, they have to be vaccinated. But you can have, but we now know, of course, that the vaccinated can spread COVID and they can become infected. So you have thirty thousand people uh, with the roof closed sometimes with the uh, the the, uh, the Rogers Stadium. It's got a dome, so you have thirty thousand people indoors, uh, not wearing masks, sitting side by side. But because they're vaccinated, and yet you have restaurants uh, uh, that have capacity limits. Uh, you have. Orders in certain provinces where you can't have more than 10 people over for – we just had Thanksgiving. This is our Thanksgiving weekend. Mm. Uh, the logic completely dissolves. So then the question is, obviously, this isn't you know about health. So what, what are these vaccine mandates all about? Is it a loyalty test? Is it rewarding the compliant and punishing um, the defiant, the refuseniks? Yeah, well, no, no, it's, there's never been any logic. There's never been any science. I mean, the, the entire time, as I, I tried to point out at the beginning, when we first started going to restaurants, and you wore your you wore your mask to go into the restaurant, but as soon as you got to your table, you could take it off. And I kept trying to say, what, what is the science there? Explain that science to me. The virus is dangerous around the doorway, but it can't get you to, get you at the table. Or uh, the curfews. So the virus is dangerous after a particular time. I mean, what's the science here? And then where, everywhere you go, you see these plexiglass things in the post office, stores, and there's an opening at the bottom. There's openings on the side, uh, you know, at the top. W what kind of virus is – I mean, it, just think, people. I mean, this is – you know, it's, it's ridiculous. But again, there, nobody is thinking. Uh, they don't understand the six-foot social distancing thing. It was, was based on a middle school girl science project many years ago. That's where that science comes from. It's not based on anything. But you try to tell people, and they give you. And I, you know, the, the saddest thing I was, you know, is that not we had the kind of uh, family divisions we had in the Civil War are nothing compared to what's happening now. Right. I'm seeing, I'm seeing it in my own family. I, I, I was because uh, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I, I was, uh, I, I didn't go to a family wedding last month, and neither did my kids who aren't vaccinated. And that's sad. And there's another one coming up. I don't know when next year or something. Odds are I won't be going to that too. I don't know when we'll have family get-togethers anymore. Because I'm not going to get vaccinated. Again, the whole thing, I was talking about this on a show earlier tonight, that 
I, I don't care. You know, I don't tell anyone not to get vaccinated. I mean, I think there's a lot of questions about it. And I, I and the reason I don't get vaccinated is because I fear the vaccine a lot more than I fear whatever COVID is. So I'm making, you know, just an educated uh, choice on that. But I should be able to make that choice. You can make any choice. If you want to get uh, a booster every week, I, I don't, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to cancel you. I'm not going to not talk to you and say you can't come to the family gathering or, uh, you know, I, I, I don't love you anymore. You're dangerous, the kind of stuff that I hear. But this is the problem is that crazy, woke left side. And that's where the mentality is. Those are the people that are doing this. They're the ones that they won't accept that you have a choice. They're pro-choice on abortion and nothing else. <laughs> Other than that, they don't want any choice. But they don't want you to have a choice. I, I let you have your choice. I don't care. You want to get the vaccine? More power to you. I don't. I mean, you make that choice. It's fine. But that's the problem: is that our side doesn't try to cancel people. The people that are civil libertarians, we're not going to cancel anybody. We're not going to demand somebody be fired because they didn't get a vaccine. I mean, because they got a vaccine, or because of something they said that offended you. I don't care what you say. You have freedom of speech. But that's this this cancel culture, and this is really just an extension extension of that, where instead of uh, canceling you for something you said. Or something you believe, canceling you for your beliefs. Now they're canceling you because you won't get this jab, and it's it's part of you know whatever you want to call it, label it. It's it's a totalitarian type of thought, but it's 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 authoritarianism on on steroids, and it's incompatible with a free country. Well, the other interesting thing is is the way now people have taken rights, personal liberties, and now it's about. I have a right to feel free from risk. Right, so, right. I mean, how did we get to that point where, I mean, people don't have a right. There's no God-given right to feel free from risk. Right. That's like saying I have, I have a right not to be struck by an asteroid. I mean, there are random things that right. happen. It's part of reality. It's part of the package when you're born that there are tragedies and there are random things that happen. And I would say that, uh, you know, a, a respiratory virus, a pandemic, I mean, putting aside the whole, you know, origin theory is, who, you know, was it created in a lab? Was it, was it allowed to escape? Did, was it an accident or whatever? Uh, but, but pandemics are random events. You don't have a right. Nobody has a right to feel, to feel anything. Right. You don't have a right to feel something. Exactly. And, and, it's, and of course, it's been weaponized. Uh, this and what we're experiencing now is the is the medical tyranny. So in addition to the other tyranny, the political tyranny we have now, where this is being presented again, as someone who worked in the medical industrial complex my entire life, uh, mostly in IT, but until I was fired unfairly for helping out a handicapped coworker a few years ago, uh, I've seen it inside out. Uh, I've always thought it was corrupt. Uh, it's we have the worst medical care system in the world. I'm sorry, and if you if you if you you don't if you don't you don't believe that you haven't experienced very much of it. But uh, so these are to me these are horrible people at every level by and large. And to, to for them they're the ones who are running this narrative, whatever it is. So we're listening to them more than we're listening to the politicians. Somebody like a Dr. Fauci, who again, if you know his history, I'm writing a little bit about in, in, in Hidden History Three. Fauci is responsible for who knows how many thousands of uh, primarily gay people dying of AIDS back in the 80s because uh, back then he was doing the same thing he's doing now. He was using phony tests. 
These were tests for HIV, which, again, a lot of these things were even unproven. People that were healthy people, but especially in the gay community, there would be tremendous fear. And uh, they would go get tested for HIV, and they would be HIV positive. Oh, my God. Well, we better give you AZT. This, this was a rejected cancer chemotherapy drug. You know, dangerous, a lot of chemotherapy drugs. How bad could that have been that they rejected it? Uh, so this is what people with AIDS took. And guess what? They got sick after they started taking it. So it, it once, and once they finally stopped you know, putting AZT out there, what happened to AIDS? So it, it became something that South Park could make a joke about it. They had an episode where that it was insignificant. And, uh, but how many people died in the meantime? And Fauci was in the middle of that. He was the one pushing AZT. And Fauci was also the one that pushed for the 1986 vaccine, uh, basically the Immunity from Prosecution Act. That was so that basically in 1986, they made the vaccine makers virtually immune from any kind of let, uh, exactly. lawsuit against it. And that Fauci, so this is the guy you're, this is the leader of this that the media and the celebrities are lauding as some kind of great hero. Speaking of uh, that whole discussion about, you know, AIDS, whatever, what happened to Chris Rock? I mean, he was talking about exactly what, that was part of his routine. It wasn't funny. He just went on these, almost like these Lenny Bruce type rants, mm -hmm. talking exactly like you were just talking. Uh, and now all of a sudden it's like, well, um, you know, I got, doubly vaxxed uh i still got covid it was horrible so you should get doubly vaxxed <laughs> what happened to chris rock yeah well i guess somebody gave him a talking to i mean i think uh, it takes uh it takes a lot of courage to stand up under fire that's why I, my hat goes off i'm not a fan of her music but Nicki minaj was very courageous i agree i agree to tweet out so let's let's hope that more people can do that you're seeing that in the nba basketball players too the black community is has, is by and large suspicious of this. They have every reason to be. So let's hope we can get enough angry blacks to make them pay attention. And I, Because I, of right the Tuskegee, now, yeah, the Tuskegee yes, syphilis yes. experiments. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, we, there is a long history of, uh, you know, m the medical establishment participating in in horrible experiments um, yeah. on, on, on well, people. And, and, cri and crimes and cover-up. I have uh, crimes and cover-ups. The book has a whole timeline of these horrible things that our government, our military, and our intelligence agencies did throughout the 20th century. And it wasn't just Tuskegee, and it wasn't just black people, but they concentrated on the most vulnerable. Uh, they did a lot of horrible things to orphans, to uh, mental patients, and to prisoners. And they sprayed horror, you know, terrible diseases on whole communities. This is stuff our government did throughout the 20th century. So to think that they have your – this that's why the, the biggest joke of all is to think that they care about your health. Our, to think that our government cares about our health is absolutely ridiculous. You know, there's great, many great memes going around. But one of my favorite ones is the one, if they cared about our health, why don't we have free chemotherapy and free insulin? And I think that's a good question to ask. Obviously, you know, there are people that are, are dying because they can't afford that or they can't uh, afford health care, but they're going to have you believe that they care about your health. No, that there's, you ought to be suspicious of it just because they're, they're trying so hard to get you to take it. It's like the old Twilight Zone episode. Don't go on the ship. I'm not going on the ship. <laughs> I can tell you that. It, it's been there's some suggestion, and I think it, there's it makes sense. I mean, they talked about you know herd immunity, which I hate that idea. Like we're part of a herd. That's exactly the way they look at us, right? We're cattle, yes. Yes. part of the herd. 
Uh, but they said, okay, if we get to 70% or 75% we'll achieve, with the vaccination rates, we'll have herd immunity. Now, all of a sudden, Joe Biden and, and up here and our leaders are saying 97%. They don't want to say 100%, but 97% equals 100%. So now the thinking is, and I think there's some justification for this. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. They want to get rid of the control group. They need everybody to be vaccinated, 100% vaccination. So if things, when things go start to go south, and I'm talking about, you know, the adverse reactions, there'll be no There'll be no no other. There'll be no control group to compare. Right. Oh no. yeah, that's exactly right. Because if, if if we if we have uh, in America, there's still probably about a hundred million of us that haven't gotten vaccinated. So a huge, substantial, maybe a third of the population. And uh, so yeah, you're right. If 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 and, you know, I, and I don't. I don't theorize. So a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, millions of people are going to die from the vaccines. And, and I don't, first of all, I, I think it's foolish to make those kinds of predictions. I agree. I agree. They almost never come true. And, uh, and certainly we hope that doesn't happen. But, uh, it, but if, if something like that is even possible, feasible, then yeah, they'd have every reason. They don't want to leave a hundred to make it obvious if, Hey, where did everybody go? And the only one left were the unvaccinated. I mean, I guess we were right. Huh? And I think, you know, Beyond the conspiratorial level here, human nature kicks in, and I just on a personal level and just politically, people don't want to admit they're wrong, and this has become so emotional. All the people that have called me dangerous, you know, just I, I know uh, that they are never going to admit that the crazy conspiracy theorists were right. They're so vested in this. They were so gullible. They, and, you know, we told them they were gullible. We told them you shouldn't be doing this. Why are you doing this? this? Is unscientific. Why are you driving around your car with a mask on? Where's the science there? They know they're foolish, but they're wrapping it in itself that somehow they're protecting themselves from us because we're going to die because we're unvaccinated. So if that doesn't happen, and eventually they can see the light, they're still never going to admit it because you know, people. How many people do you know? That can just say, hey, you know what? You were right. I'm sorry I was wrong. I mean, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. Especially when it's an emotional issue like this. And uh, there's so much vested in it. And, you know, families, or, I mean, all our families, there were people that, you know, family members that broke up over Trump. Uh, there's a lot more that are breaking up over this. And it's uh, it's sad. But a lot of it is is beyond because, you know, people that are that are buying into this are not conspirators. They're not part of anything. No, uh, there's a just, real mania. It's a mania. Yes, yeah. I, um, I, I see on, on social media where someone will say, well, my wife and I were just told that as of November, whatever the mandate date is, because we're not vaccinated, we're being terminated. And uh, instead of an outpouring of, you know, I'm sorry, how can we help? I There are these cheerleaders. Yeah. We're yeah. actually saying, good. I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad you're being hurt. I'm glad you're. You know, yes. you can no longer afford to put food on the table and your children will suffer. I've right. never seen such a mean spiritedness. Uh, I don't know what yeah. they're putting in those jabs, but, uh, you know, they're turning a lot of people into PRs. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Um, we're going to take another time out here. Um, we've got some questions coming in on the YouTube live chat. We'll get to some of those. Some of those go back to your work, of course, with uh, on the JFK assassination and uh, and others. Don Jeffries stays with us. Crimes and cover-ups in American politics. Uh, the updated paperback edition now available. Back with uh, more of our conversation and your questions and comments right after these. 
PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right. So let's uh, begin with the uh, YouTube live chat. Roger Vega asks, Don, do you see a continuum of history of the deep state who took out JFK and now took Trump out via massive vote fraud? Well, I think the continuum of history goes back farther. That's what Crimes and Cover-Ups was basically a prequel to that, you know, hidden history where I started with the JFK assassination. Yeah, the continuum of history is very important. And I think my work just basically represents a, a timeline, and I call it a timeline of organized corruption. And uh, it's basically, that's why people tell me, you know, you think everything's a conspiracy. Well, yeah, I do, because uh, I think we're being run by conspirators. And this is what they do. They conspire. They don't know any other way to do, this is the way they do business. They don't know any other way to act. So, uh, yeah, of course, they when people get in their way, and I'll, I have ambivalent feelings about Trump. I, I've written a lot about it. I voted for him. But uh, I, I think he's, he was great on Twitter. His, his, his rhetoric was great, but unfortunately, I think he didn't follow through. And because he didn't follow through, I think that's the main reason we are in such a horrible situation. And also, he failed to recruit anybody or people failed to be recruited by the Republican Party, which is, is horrible as an institution. And they never wanted him to begin with. But he, there are no there were so, no other a bunch of other maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene that got elected. None of the other Republicans were, were elected basically as, a, as, you know, real Trumpsters that, you know, were running on his rhetoric. And because of that, once he was gone, you see what's there today. You have a bunch of rhinos that have always been there. And then you have a handful of decent representatives in Congress. But uh, yeah, I think you could you could look at, uh, for whatever reason, the people that got rid of JFK, you could say, if, if to whatever, whatever degree Trump was sincere, certainly if, if he was really going to do any of the things, he was going to close the border and do something about immigration, really build the infrastructure, really bring the troops home, really drain the swamp, then of course the, uh, the swamp was going to be opposed to him. So yeah, there is a continuation. And anybody, you know, going back to Huey Long and John F. Kennedy, RFK, MLK, uh, these people are eliminated, unfortunately. And uh, if they're not killed, they're whistleblowers like Julian Assange and Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning that remain uh, uh, behind, you know, not free at large. Is, is that is that uh, how it's done now? They don't need to assassinate somebody. Yeah, yeah. They 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 have the uh, they have the media. They have the, all the political and cultural institutions that can be uh, focused like a laser beam on someone right. who steps out of line who doesn't follow the narrative. So it's not about actual assassination. It's about well political assassination. Absolutely. And you, you see it, even people who aren't that controversial. I mean, my friend Cynthia McKinney was, was run out of Congress, uh, you know, but that was several years ago. Uh, Dennis Kucinich, he'll never hold elect elective office again. Uh, but you have people like Tulsi Gabbard, who really was not, I mean, she was a really much more like an old fashioned Democrat, the party that I was affiliated with for a long time when I first started getting into politics. I was a Democrat. I thought they were the good guys. Tulsi Gabbard was really good on many issues. And uh, she'll never hold political office again as a Democrat. Anyhow, 
they they completely weed out anybody, especially in the Democratic Party. I, I don't think there is a single Democrat that's even <laughs> remotely reasonable now at all. Well, and, I think um, um, Joe Manchin, I guess, yeah. maybe in the Senate and the Arizona yeah. senator. Uh, yes, yes, Democrat, the woman. Yes, yes, yeah. Who is, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, they're the only ones that are like halfway. But I mean, I, I don't know how good they are, but they're just maybe not quite deranged with the full-on woke thing, and they're fighting that to some degree. But that's the best we can hope for now. But there's there's nobody like the kind of Democrats that I revered in my youth. There's not a single one there, and there are only a, you know a handful of Republicans that are that are that are pretty good on most things. But a lot of them are under fire themselves. Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to be one turn. There's no way the Republican Party will let her back in. I don't know how she slipped through this time. Uh, Matt Gates is under fire with you know a scandal that I think is probably politically motivated. Um, so you know you're probably going to have even fewer of them. So I, I don't think we can look at political answers. And that's why I'm concentrating my hope, such as it exists, at the lower levels because I I, I think these school boards and the parents that are angry that have been called domestic terrorists now, I think that may be where we might be able to chip away if they can get some of those tyrannical, and they are tyrannical, even at that level. That's what shows how bad the corruption is because school boards are pretty low, far down the chain. But if you look at the way these petty tyrants, one of the parents called them that and hit the nail on the head, the way they're acting, when these parents had the audacity to question the curriculum that they're exposing their their children to and that their tax dollars pay for – it shows you just how systemic this corruption is and how deep it is. But maybe because it's at the bottom, we might be able to make some inroads there and you might be able to work your way up. But you certainly can't do anything at the top. Congress is lost. And after the 2020 election, I don't know why anybody would vote because they're certainly not counting the votes, honestly. Uh, MG asks, is it true that interstate travel will be banned for the unvaccinated? Well, uh, again, that's one of the rumors that might happen. Again, it hasn't happened yet, but I was reading a headline about one of the airlines that canceled a bunch of flights today. I can't keep up with it. I've never been a great traveler, uh, so now I kind of have an excuse not to travel, I guess. But uh, I certainly don't like being confined if I wanted to travel. But it's scary, but I, I think, again, it's trending in that direction. And again, the problem is that everybody in power wants this. And it's only the millions of people opposing it and the few people that have any kind of public forum, Tucker Carlson, a handful of Republicans in, in, you know, in the House mainly, uh, that, that can possibly stop it. And, and of course, platforms like this, you know, this is why the Internet is, uh, the, was the great hope for so long. And it's so sad that it's being censored the way it is. But platforms like this, this is where we can talk about this stuff. I, I, you know, we couldn't go on any television station and I mean, certainly – if I just started mouthing off with my radical rhetoric, I, I would last like 15 seconds. You know? But uh, uh, I don't know how, lot, how long we'll be doing – we'll be able to do this type of yeah. programming because now that uh, the, the liberals, uh, they want a, a, major, a minority rather, they're going to reintroduce some pieces of legislation which will severely curtail uh, freedom of expression on the internet. You'll have to have a license. Yeah. You could have to have a license for a website. Uh, again, it's almost like the sedition laws. If if you're um, if you're you know being very aggressively uh, you're aggressively you know going after or criticizing members of parliament, uh, that could be considered hate speech. So right. um, yeah, it's very dark days up here. Uh, let's see. Show me the truth. Seventy four. All right, I've heard just about all of the theories about JFK. This one's pretty out there. But however, 
Show Me the Truth 74 asks, I saw a video proposing Jackie O shot JFK. I've been intrigued with the idea. Do you think Jackie had a gun in her purse? I'm sure you've heard that. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I actually, actually, I don't just you know. There's not too many conspiracy theories that I, I discount immediately. But uh, I, 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 I've studied this for a very long time, and no, I, I don't think that. Uh, if they, because again, that would that would suppose that she wanted to kill him, uh, but you know this was a conspiracy, and they, I don't think the government would get involved and cover up because Jackie killed JFK. Right, right, yeah, that's right up there with the uh, the limo driver shooting. Yes, him yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. All right, um, so let's get back to um, these mandates and so forth. So as of the end of November here in Canada, if you're unvaccinated, you won't be allowed to leave the country. I mean. The same people that are cheering this on and saying, yes, it's about time, punish them, punish them. But the same people that were, in many cases, uh, opposed to the idea of, let's say, building a wall on your southern border to keep people out, drug gangs, uh, human smugglers, uh, other criminals, or just, you know, illegals who are driving down wages for the people at the lower end of the economic uh, ladder – uh, so it's it's not okay to build a wall to keep people out, but it's okay to basically effectively build a wall to keep your own people in. I mean, the hypocrisy and the logic is just it, it leaves me dumbfounded, Don. Well, yeah, I think that uh, one of the conservatives says if they it wasn't for double standards, uh, liberals again, the liberals. And I hate using that word because that's what I am. But uh, what passes for liberals today have no would have no standards at all. Yeah, the hypocrisy is everywhere, and they. Uh, but this is again, this is uh, this is the party that if you go back and look at, uh, for instance, uh, the communists. You know, the, the people they were calling commies and fellow travelers and reds. They had the same names they make up for the right today that they used for the left in the fifties. But a lot of those so-called communist organizations were like the Free Speech Project. You know, the the uh, a, a lot of them centered around free speech would be in the name of the group. Because, in the, as you mentioned, the ACLU, the ACLU was thought to be a Marxist organization, maybe because they were so far left, uh, but they were concerned with free speech. Now, uh, were they only concerned because they were pushing the envelope from the far left? I don't know. But, I mean, the ACLU, I do know that in the 1970s, uh, a Jewish guy, I can't remember what his name was, but he was a Jewish lawyer for the ACLU, uh, was profiling courage because he's the one who uh, – represented genuine Nazis. Now, these aren't people that, you know, the left is just calling Nazis because they disagree with no, them. No, these, these were people, genuine scum of yeah, the earth Nazis. Yeah, right? I mean, these are people, they're calling themselves Nazis. They're wearing Nazi uniforms and Heil Hitlering and all that. And of course, they were provocational. They, I mean, they, you know, what was the point of going through a largely Jewish area and, and marching? Obviously, to, to, to get a reaction. They weren't going to get any converts there. I, I doubt very seriously the Jewish people were going to say, "Oh yeah, we, we like these Nazis. You know, we're going to we're going to become Nazis." So this was clearly they were provoking them. But even in a case like that, as extreme as you can get, the Jewish lawyer and the ACLU defended their right to do it, and they defended that that was the 1970s. Now you can you could can you imagine? I mean, the ACLU today would just blanch at that. That's their history, but that's how far we've gone. In, uh, in in uh, less than 50 years, and uh, that's the ACLU that I liked, and I was a member of when I was very young, card-carrying member briefly. 
but uh, you know, and I, I, I love that idea that you know I may really hate you. I mean, as much as I you know have, have studied the JFK assassination, there was a a lone Nutter League, a group that you know believed Oswald did it against all the evidence. I would still defend their right to exist, uh, even though I really you know really opposed to, to, you know what you're saying. That's the idea because free speech means nothing if you don't support the the, the ideas that you disagree with. Otherwise, we're just you know we just end up being uh, you know uh, uh, we're just preaching to each other and preaching to the choir. Exactly, Don. Got to take another time out. Back with more of the conspiracy show, Don Jeffries, crimes and cover-ups in American politics. Back with more in a moment. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Don Jeffrey stays with us. Crimes and cover-ups in American politics, 1776 to 1963. Updated paperback edition now available. Um, how do we uh, how do we uh, get to your website, Don, and you, and uh, read your blog? Well, I, I actually have uh, my blog can still be uh, accessed at Donald Jeffries. Uh, dot media no Donald Jeffries dot news I think Donald Jeffries dot news and my Substack writings which I write regularly for the noun Substack is a great free speech platform they don't censor and I think everybody support it you want to support me you can go to Donald Jeffries dot media so Donald Jeffries dot news and Donald Jeffries dot media you'll find lots of uh, my rantings and uh, writings at those places and uh, I do want to mention also at my book on showbiz on borrowed fame. That should be out uh, around the beginning of November, so look for that. That's a little bit of a departure for me, but again, I write I write about it the same way I do everything else. I'm looking at unfairness and corruption and hopefully uh, interesting subject matter. All right, yes, we're going to get you on uh, Coast to Coast towards the end of November yes. yep. for yep. that book. And just a reminder that uh, you're going to be guest hosting this uh, program on the 24th of October. Uh, Janet Phelan will be... Uh, scheduled in hour one. What do you think about the idea of building a parallel society, not just because of COVID? I mean, now you have, for example, uh, parents who want to pull their kids out of school because they don't want their child wearing a a mask all day. They don't want their child vaccinated. Uh, So now they're homeschooling. Now you've got teachers that are being fired uh, from school boards because they don't want to go along with the mandate. So now they're being welcomed into the homeschooling movement. Uh, you know, because, you know, parents are pooling resources and maybe they're forming co-ops. So we're starting to see the beginnings of this parallel society happening. Much of it was kind of foisted on us because of COVID. But just in general, because of this, you know, this this strain in, in terms of, uh, you know, these disparate values you've got on the extreme left and then you've got, again, the classical liberals. How do you feel? Is it time we start seriously thinking about just building a parallel society. Well, I think we'd all be happier if that was the case. But again, I think it goes back to what I said. We don't have any shared values, any foundational principles. So, yeah, how do you live? I mean, if you, I, you know, I, my kids are grown, but, you know, if, if I had, uh, if they were going to be subjected to critical race theory or a transgender story hour, 
mask mandates when they you know when they're little and they have no nothing to fear from COVID at that age at all. Yeah, I would be one of those parents yelling down there too. But and it would be it, it's got to be beyond frustrating to the people whose salaries you pay, whose taxes you're paid for these schools, and they're not listening to you. Instead, they want to demonize you and say you don't have that right, and they want to call you domestic terrorists. Yeah, I think we've reached the height of lunacy there, and uh, we just don't. Uh, we look at things differently. And again, I'm not, I would be living, I guess, in the conservative area, even though I really am not a conservative. But I believe in free speech. And alone, I'd have to go where free speech would be, where I wouldn't have to fear being fired for what I said. But the, the people that want to live like that, fine, do it. But unfortunately, I think, you know, we've been through this before because that was basically on a not that esoteric of a level, but uh, the Civil War was based on that premise. The Southern states seceded. Because they no longer wanted to be, you know, together with the, the with the, with that government and the people that believed in it, uh, it wasn't anything as deep as it is now. Philosophically, we have tremendous differences. The the you know the the division is great in this country. I mean, we don't we don't agree on, you know, at what point human life begins. We don't agree on what point it ends. I mean, we've had these you know moral battles for years. But actually, we pull the plug on people. Uh, you know, things things like that where we don't agree on basic. We don't agree whether on God. So uh, I don't know how you can, and we don't agree on the basic foundations of America, and that is that uh, people have a right to free speech, a right to to uh, assembly. A right to speak their mind, a right to protest, assemble and protest, and a right to bear arms. And a right to bodily uh, autonomy. Right, a right to bodily autonomy. My body, my choice. That only seems to apply with abortion. It doesn't apply with here. That, uh, we need to try to use their own argument against them. My body, my choice. I say that all the time. And uh, But, you know, again, the, the hypocrisy of the woke left is just stunning. There, there's, there's no consistency at all. And they just, you know, they just give you a blank look, or they just, they just, you know, t- tighten the screws harder when you point out their hypocrisy. And so it's, it's scary. I mean, you know, I, I don't like being under. It's, it's like we're all collectively, we've all had, you know, kind of a tyrannical boss. Somebody we go in and we got God, we really fear. You know, he's watching everything you do, and you're afraid you're going to screw up and you're going to get in big trouble because you're nervous. You're not doing as good a job. Uh, that's what we're collectively becoming. In America, we have we have collectively a tyrannical boss that is uh, that is really looking at everything we're doing and everything we're saying, and this entire cancel culture. And this was before you throw this entire COVID narrative into it. When you do that, and you, you throwing the unvaccinated, so you become you, know, you already were you know we're outside the lines with, uh, you know, saying uh, opinions that uh, went a counter to the, the woke culture. But now you're refusing to get the vaccine, which is the, what they're basing everything on now. They're concentrating all their efforts on making you get that shot. Uh, then it becomes really uncomfortable. And it's, it's, it's not a good place to be right now, America is. And I, I, don't, I don't know what the end game is here, but the future, as I said, looks very bleak. I, I don't, I don't see any hope. I don't see any white hats out there. And I don't know, short of getting together in the millions in a show of force. And you know that's not going to happen in America. You can't draw 100 people anywhere. Uh, that's about the only way we can do it because we obviously really outnumber them. But it's just like Orwell's proles. Orwell talked about that in 1984. You know, the proles greatly outnumbered the inner party. But 
they couldn't come together. They were constantly arguing and bicking with each other. And that's why the conversation I had with Cynthia McKinney was so great because she sees that. She wants to, you know, said, I want to talk to white nationalists. She recognizes that a lot of disparate groups have uh, a lot of common interests, and we all have that common enemy. And that's what I talked about in Survival of the Richest. They fear the whites and the blacks and Hispanics and all the people joining hands together that are being oppressed under this rigged system and looking at them. But instead, they managed to constantly get us distracted and get us pointing fingers at each other's and fighting with each other's and making it to be that we are the enemy to various groups instead of looking at the common enemy that is oppressing us all, that is controlling this rigged system. Don, one final timeout, and uh, we'll finish up with some a flurry of fast uh, comments and questions from the YouTube live chat. Don Jeffries. Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, updated paperback edition. Stay with us. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. All right, let's go back to the YouTube live chat. Questions for Don Jeffries. Joe Michaels asks, what do you think of states seceding, uh, seceding from the union? Is that, well, I don't think that's constitutionally possible, is it? Well, I think, uh, I think that was settled, unfortunately, in, in the 1860s. I think the Civil War settled that, that uh, there is talk of secession. We hear Texas, Florida, things like that. But you know, I, I think that's the answer, really. I think that we, we do because we're not the same country. But I, I just – I don't think – we saw what happened last time when states tried that. So I, I think these same tyrannical forces that are, are much more powerful now than they were in 1860. So unfortunately, I, I, I think that would have a very small chance of succeeding. Right. I think there is a mechanism. So, for example, you may have – you have all of these conservative counties in – uh, in rural California that, uh, you know, th- they would like to, to secede. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may not be able to form their own state, um, or, but the, or they, maybe they could join with a, a neighboring state. So, um, you know, West Virginia, for example, was carved yes. out of Virginia. Yep. Um, you could have something like that, that type of a situation. But I don't think you could have a state actually, you know, declare independence from yeah. the United States. Uh, St. Michael asks, JFK and Eisenhower talked on numerous occasions. Did Eisenhower influence JFK by proxy or was he just warning him? Great question. Well, I don't know how, you know, Eisenhower, I don't think personally was a huge fan of JFK, but certainly his uh, warning about the military industrial complex as he left office was something I'm sure JFK probably took note of. And especially after the Bay of Pigs, which happened as soon as he came into office, it was a rude awakening for JFK. And I think he realized, wow, this isn't going to be so easy. And he started realizing the kind of powers that were there that he had to contend with. So I think he probably took note of Eisenhower's speech. I don't know if there's any evidence that he you know, sought Eisenhower's advice or anything like that. But uh, certainly I think he probably uh, could relate to that speech anyhow. All right. Uh, Zebra2U asks – uh, Don, have you considered seeking refugee refugee status in Florida? I don't know if he's asking me that or you that. <laughs> uh, either of us, I guess. Well, you're in. Um, you're I'm in, in Virginia. Virginia. What's, Virginia. The situ- what's the situation? Yeah. You've got a. Um, well, I live in northern Virginia, which is right outside of uh, of, of Washington D.C. Uh, we're very uh, blue here, 
And uh, but again, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not red. I'm. I guess I'm purple. I don't know what I am. I'm a different color. But uh, yeah, this is not the same. Uh, Virginia is not the same as it was even 20 years ago. It's been transformed tremendously. So I, I don't know about seeking refuge in Florida. But I mean, DeSantis. I have questions about him, but uh, you got to give people credit when they do something right, and I think he's done some some good things with the mass mandates and everything. I, I haven't thought of it, you know, about moving there, but who knows? It's possible, uh, especially if the family f- divisions continue to go further. If I, you know, if I have no real reason to stay around my extended family because uh, I'm become a pariah about being unvaccinated, then yeah, I guess that changes a lot of things. Uh, Roger Vega asks, Don, can you speak to Truman's face-off with Alan Dulles after the JFK hit? Truman essentially called out the CIA as the perpetrator. Is that true? I didn't know that. Uh, I have not heard that. I know Truman uh, Truman did express regrets about forming the CIA, but I, you know, I would be surprised at anything like that because Truman was not a fan of JFK's at all. And uh, if you look at the reaction to JFK's assassination, if you look like the video reaction from Truman and Eisenhower, both Winston Churchill, uh, very, I'm not say disrespectful, but unemotional, let's say. They didn't look really sad. And uh, Truman was like the rest of the Democratic Party, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, the, the establishment Democratic Party, certainly Lyndon Johnson, before, you know, even when he became LBJ's vice presidential candidate. The establishment and the Democrats, they still hated Joseph P. Kennedy, his father. They didn't trust Kennedy. So uh, Truman never liked Kennedy. And Truman was, a, I think, a 33rd-degree Mason. So odds are he probably wasn't a fan of Catholics. So uh, I think there was probably little prejudices there as well. But I, I've never heard that. So I'd be surprised if, uh, if uh, that was actually the case. I'd love to see the source for that, though. All right. Um, let's see. Do you think vaccines for COVID-19 is a form of population control, Rich and Don? Well, you want to go first with that one? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, I, I don't speculate because, I mean, you know, certainly that's – it would be reasonable to speculate that it could be, especially, you know, we, we do know – all I do – I'm not going to predict millions of people are going to die from these vaccines. I certainly hope that doesn't happen. But I do know the CDC's own figures admit that already – Far more people have died from these vaccines than all the other vaccines combined since 1901. That's a fact. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's the CDC telling you. So uh, I, I don't know how many more will die or what could be in the future. Again, that's predicting. But uh, And we know that they do want to call the herd. They're all eugenicists. They talk about it all the time. They haven't done it, though. So, you know. I, I don't think this is something where they're – but, you know, who? Do, I, I certainly hope it isn't. But uh, I've certainly questioned the numbers so far, but I, I don't know. what's these are, these are pathological psychopaths, and I, who knows what they're thinking. Right. I, just, I, I think it's a profit motive, um, and they, ultimately they don't care, really, as you say. They, it's not about our health. They don't care what happens. It's, it's, it's greed, and, and uh, if, if people are injured or if they die, uh, then so be it. I mean, when you look at what happened in 1976 – with um, the swine flu vi- uh, vaccine, and what were there? Thirty-two was it? Thirty-two people yeah. uh, died, according to the um, uh, estimates. Thirty-two, and they pulled it. They pulled it from the market. Yeah. Exactly. And now, uh, I guess VARES is up to sixteen thousand. 
deaths. Now, again, we have to say correlation is not causation. But on the other hand, uh, they say that only about 1% of uh, adverse events, including deaths, are reported. Right, exactly. So It's very conservative then. Yeah, that's probably a very conservative figure. How do you reconcile that? 32 people in 1976. I remember Chris yeah. Wall or uh, Mike Wallace was all over that on 60 yes. Minutes, yep. interviewing the, the van- vaccine manufacturers, just grilling yeah. them. And again, I think that's and it, you, how do you reconcile that? And I think that's but that's the problem is that because we don't have a free press, and that's the problem about all this. And the reason and my books couldn't have been written if we had a free press and investigative press because they would have exposed all this stuff. There wouldn't be hidden history, but uh, they don't. And they're basically state-controlled mouthpieces. They are state-controlled media. Otherwise, they would ask these questions. They wouldn't be covering it up. They would have exposés on, on you know, how, how have there been more deaths this way? This is dangerous. And they would go after, you know, Trump's bragging about the vaccine. Why, why, you know, why are you – this is his warp speed vaccine. It was dangerous. We should have never done it. But they're not. They're pushing it and they're covering up, even questioning this on social media. They're banning people and they're making it basically a thought crime. To even mention all the deaths that have been that have uh, happened and, and adverse effects, where you know children getting heart attack, heart uh, defects, it's a very real thing. It's happening. It's terrible, and uh, but they're covering it up. They're not reporting it. So, in terms of sort of leaving on a on a hopeful note, if that's possible, we talked <laughs> about we talked about parents rising up at the yes. school board level and pushing back. I mean, not yes. a day goes by where there aren't some viral videos. Of yes. That. An angry parent confronting. Um, What else do you see uh, in terms of kind of a grassroots movement to to push back against all of this? Well, I'm I'm pushing. I I, I just call it the angry blacks because, uh, you know, uh, the identity politics fears. And I talked about this to. Cynthia McKinney, who's an angry black herself, and she loved it. You know, I said, you know, the identity politics don't it doesn't handle uh, angry blacks very well. You get enough high-profile black people. You got Nicki Minaj. You got some NBA players. You got Louis Farrakhan, who's uh, you know again, you, get, you say what you want about him, but he spoke very rationally, criticizing you know why he said basically why would you let them put anything in you? Talking about I guess maybe yeah. these people. Yeah, and, and, I, have, I can, yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't like to include him in that. I just think he's such an odious character. Well, but. he is, but 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 the thing is, you, the more loud and angry black people, and that's who all that's protesting this. But if they can, that's why I'm out there supporting it. Is the the vaccine is racist? If we have to do that to get people to question it, that's fine. Because uh, there's reason to question it. People ought to have the choice, and they need to stop demonizing people that won't get it. And hopefully, there's enough. If there are enough angry black people that protest this, and there is a groundswell, ESPN just fired a reporter Sage Steele for questioning it. Uh, so they're canceling them, but enough get there. You get enough black entertainers. Maybe Chris Rock comes back in the fold. It's possible. I'm trying to search for hope anywhere. I mean, I don't know how much hope there is there, but uh, that's the hope I see. That and the parents, uh, the angry parents at the school board, trying to maybe get some uh, some response. And some control at the bottom levels of this uh, absolutely corrupt system we have here. And uh, in Europe, there's some signs. You know, uh, the president yeah. of Croatia and and a, a number of other uh, Portugal, I think now, and Denmark and Sweden, saying we just have to learn to live with it, and uh, just getting rid of all of the restrictions. Enough of this madness. So there are some hopeful signs over in Europe. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but more, much more than here. I mean, you have the, the protests we've seen in France and Germany and England. Uh, we haven't seen that here. 
and even in Canada, up where you are, uh, but not so much in America. I think we've been cowed by the January 6th thing, and people, I think, are scared. They don't want to be imprisoned as political prisoners like uh, the, uh, the people were from the January 6th protests. All right. Don, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, updated paperback edition, Amazon, good bookstores, and uh, you'll be in the air chair in, in two weeks. So Looking thank you to. for this. Thank you, Richard, as always. Appreciate it. All right. My pleasure. Uh, my thanks to uh, Carlos Cagina and Ryan back next week. Micah Hanks will be here on the program. I'll be in Greece, but uh, pre-recording from over there. And uh, in the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.